0: Welcome to the third episode of Creator Spotlight from the Interface. Uh, my name's Alex, and today i 'm joined by a special guest Tom Lawrence from lawrence systems he run, He runs his own consultancy business as well as uh, a YouTube channel which you may have seen uh, so welcome Tom hey how you doing? yeah good thank you
1: this is uh This is always fun getting to meet new people uh interviews and talking about some of the behind the scenes of making things. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. The uh the Creator Spotlight podcast is something I started from my blog as well. Uh, it's sort of we I talk to people that make stuff basically. So uh, anyone that makes YouTube YouTube stuff, uh, any blogs, any anyone that just all day makes stuff and then we we talk about how they got started and what they do and the nuts and bolts about making things it's, so it's always interesting to talk to people that make stuff so
1: yeah and i think people and some people do have a plan Yep, uh, mine was less planned mine was more serendipitous of how i got here it just i didn't sit down one day and draw a business plan i just slowly iterated towards i should make some things and put them on youtube because i already did public yeah. speaking i already did some of these other things uh, but youtube was the first time i, I used my skills for teaching if you will uh towards actually teaching people at scale i've talked at plenty of linux conferences and things like that uh, but you only reach so many people and only so many people fit in a room when you're doing those <laughs> yeah definitely youtube's such a important
0: resource really especially in the networking space there's only really in, in the ubiquity space as well there's only really three or four people that it's you and a few other people that that do this sort of thing so you, you get quite a nice when everyone some comes to comes to youtube for ubiquity stuff they always always um, see even Chris and coding. Yeah, sort of and that's so. the
1: strangest thing to me that these this small group of people, this small handful of us that talk about these things on YouTube. Uh, the part that always surprises me is like the scale at which Ubiquity operates. You know, the millions mm-hmm. of devices they sell, uh, the demand for their product, the niche they have in a market. But there's these couple guys on YouTube. That's where you learn about them from. Like that's that's always yeah. just like a weird juxtaposition to me. Um, and yeah. I mean, there's other. People talking about some of the other products uh, that are kind of niche as well, but but Ubiquity is one of the ones that really stands out because I mean to call it niche is kind of not really giving it its due for just how big of a product base and install base they have, not just with home lab people, but well businesses as well.
0: It's interesting to see um where it's come. So I, I, quite a while ago, I used to work at a Wisp um, in the UK, and we used to use Ubiquity stuff all the time. And it, then it was sort of uh, I remember using the forums in those days. It was sort of it was a little smaller than it well, felt, a lot smaller than it is now. Yeah, and you could all the employees were on the forums and doing things. So, but it's definitely exploded in the last four, five, six years. It's it's mental. So.
1: Yeah. And they, you know, this is where some of the stuff comes in for me and the other people that make content on there. Uh, there's just a lack of documentation they have on things. Mm-hmm. It, it also, it's a concept that doesn't sit well with a lot of the enterprise space. The fact that, well, how'd you learn how this works? Well, there's a guy in YouTube who did a video about it. Why would I watch YouTube videos? Don't I get a support contract and an agreement and a whole uh, engineering team to support the product? Well, no, not with ubiquity, but that's, the trade-off, you know, I want a price that's affordable. I don't want license fees that are outrageous. Um, so I guess I got to watch this guy on YouTube, and that's the <laughs> that's going to be how you save Pretty that much. money, <laughs> or, or figure out yourself and
0: spend quite a little while working out how it works. But yeah, yeah.
1: that too. And it it, it really comes down to um, my background as a network engineer made Ubiquiti easy for me to learn um, because they're not the only piece of gear that I know. I know other kit. I know some of the Cisco's and. Uh, well, just a variety of other equipment I've used over the years HP pro curve and things like that once you have your yeah. base network concepts down uh, you can kind of keep learning and expanding from there it's it's kind of like we learn multiple programming languages yeah they're different yeah they have some structural differences and some uh changes in the way they word things but once you kind of get the concepts you're like okay I get this and i can I can kind of figure it out
0: definitely yeah it's uh it's it's I've noticed um what's well, yeah so with, with the YouTube channel. So you got, um, and yeah. I, I mentioned that it wasn't always the plan to do YouTube channel. And you mentioned that, um, I think you, you said uh, going back before 2017.
1: Yeah. Um, I just so had a few videos really, on there yeah. and a few firewall videos. And the way that came about was because I was speaking at an event and uh, it was a Linux conference and I was talking about PFSense firewalls. And I think this was probably 2015 or so. And I not the first time I've done that type of speaking engagement and doing that for a very long time but it was the first time someone said hey can you put that on youtube and i was like i probably could put that on youtube and so it's just you know it seems technically feasible i've built this slide Mm -hmm. deck and have a uh, presentation it goes for about 45 minutes that can be turned into a video matter of fact as i kind of went along i was like i can make it longer i can put more detail in there and uh, so that's Mm -hmm. why some of my earliest videos that i didn't realize there was a demand for and This is where you you don't know with YouTube if there's a demand for something or if you're the one helping to create the demand for it. Uh, When you start putting these videos out there, and people start watching it when you're excited, but two, more people want to put more firewall videos and people have this view of YouTube as a competitive space when in reality, it's a collaborative space. It's just mm-hmm. like when the latest iPhone that uh, just came out. It's funny because um, one of the YouTubers had a health issue, so he didn't cover it. And he talked about how many times people pinged him for not covering the latest iPhone, which He's by far not the only person covering the latest iPhone. And it's just the way you think about it. When a new product or something you want to teach someone's out there, it's usually not a perspective someone wants. People like all the angles, all the perspectives, and it almost seems like they can't get enough of it. So what's really started happening is I'm maybe one of the early people dumping out a lot of this information on there. But as I did it, more people come to the platform uh, that left the opportunity for more and more people to do it so as they started dumping things to the platform i think there's over the last five years this network engineering ecosystem you can find on youtube that just didn't exist before and it really didn't uh, you could have you would have had to fly around to a lot of different conferences and things like that to get to it, it was just not the most practical way to to get knowledge on everything
0: <laughs> yeah i've um I watch a lot of videos from from you, Chris, and coding and stuff, and then I've started seeing on my YouTube um, homepage now lots of other creators I've never heard of before that are doing Ubiquiti stuff as well. There's a couple of guys in the UK that are doing stuff, and they do some good stuff. So there's a lot of people sort of jumping on it and and talking
1: about the cameras and different things. It's it's great. Yeah, and with the you know absolute amazing number of products they have, Ubiquity being yeah. an example, but uh, you can. Really, there's It's not even enough time for a single creator to try to monopolize it. If I hired 20 people, it would be a full-time production just to dedicate to Ubiquiti. I could do that. I can make a lot. But, boy, it'd be hard to cover everything. So I bounce around just like other people do between what's interesting to me, and I let other people, yep. so to speak, cover the gaps. Or sometimes we cover the same thing, like when new releases come out, uh, the releases – ubiquity has a I think it's on purpose a mysterious way they release things they give you those most mm-hmm. vague details like fix this or added enhance that but don't really yeah. tell you what that is in detail so you almost need someone to kind of help decipher it another it yeah. becomes a fun challenge for me and the other people that review, like just when releases come out, we really have to stare at it. And we do talk to each other behind the scenes as well. You know, I reach out to Cody <laughs> or Willie or Chris from Crosstalk or any of the other people, and we'll message back yeah. and forth about the things we're seeing that are changes. Do you notice this? And they sometimes go, did you notice this? And you're like, oh, yeah, look, <laughs> that, that menu moved over because they're so vague on their uh, they, the release notes tell you if there's a bug fix, then that's going to be more implicit. But feature releases are kind of like they just shuffle things around and i don't know i think that kind of leads to they know that it'll get the views so ubiquity does it that will lead me and other people to make these videos that we know will get the views and ultimately it helps ubiquity it helps us so it's kind of a fun ecosystem when you think about it from that perspective
0: yeah definitely yeah so from uh, from the videos i've watched from you uh, from you i got the impression that you've got well you've got a physical Shop as well, yes. like a drop-in shop sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Is that is that called PC? That's called
1: PC pickup, isn't it? Or is that well, different? That's what we used to call it. So depending on okay. when you watch the videos, and this is um, this is really. I, I think there's this fun thing about putting content on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. you, the old expression: you never get another chance to make a first impression, except anytime you watch a video, that is the first impression you have of me, like the video I released yeah. in 2017 or a video in 2016. And yes, we did have a retail store we called PC Pickup that we actually closed um, in 2019. People thought we closed okay. it because of the uh, pandemic in 2020. I'm like, no, we just decided we didn't want to do retail anymore, so we wound it all down um, at the end of 2019, which is perfect timing for the events yep. that occurred in 2020 of uh, not yep. wanting <laughs> to have the general public in there. Uh, we just got so busy with the business thing so it is correct to say but it kind of uh, it it always those things that needs time added to the context of things because my old videos are still relevant for the things I talked about then Um, but I may have mentioned in some of those old one my retail store which no longer exists here Uh, it's the same physical building though Uh, my employees have some signs that say do not enter and things like that Uh, (laughs) they just don't want people um, wandering in anymore actually they lock the door there's no delivery well
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've also moved your. I noticed you moved your studio as well. So you used yes. to be in that back uh, different kind of room with a TV behind you, and you had that um, little device we could switch the the views on the on the. Yeah, as well. So I think you've moved into a different different area now. Which is yeah, I built a new studio.
1: So the first studio build was 2017, and it slowly went through iterations of different ways I wanted wanted to record. There were different spots in my building that we have my business in that I record. Um, As my company's expanded, I've kind of run out of room for me being there (laughs) and the studio being there. Studio (laughs) took up a lot of space. It's kind of a lot of things to have all the cameras and microphones and Mm. stuff. So I finally, um, we built a new house that's relatively close. And I built a dedicated studio spot where I'm recording from right now at my house. Uh, It's a pretty big space. So this gives me, um, well, more time to work on things without being disturbed, so to speak, where I could just on yep. Any time – and I deal with people in different time zones, so it's kind of fun for – I don't have to leave the office or meet someone at the office when I'm doing uh, a podcast in Australia. I can just turn it on here. I've done a few yep. uh, things <laughs> with different Australia uh, clients in Australia, and their time zone is so different. So um, <laughs> not having to try to work that out um, and driving back over to my office, doing it all from home just makes life easier.
0: <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the other thing you do is that you obviously do – you have customers that aren't um, virtually, I guess you have customers that you go out and build stuff for. So um, how does the whole process work for getting clients to like getting clients and then, and then competing for work? And
1: so that's an interesting way we started doing that. Um, This is also very serendipitous. It wasn't very planned and it was, it came from uh, marketing friends and, people that are much more business savvy than myself saying hey why don't you advertise yourself on your channel because i was they, debating about you know what do i want to do for sponsorships and things like that so i started just kind of sponsoring myself and i don't think i really started doing that until 2019 so there's like all these videos i was making but i never really suggested i'm trying to remember exactly when maybe it was in 2019 earlier somewhere around then you'll notice it popped up that it says hire us on there and all it is is i do a tutorial i don't leave anything out i don't partially do a tutorial and tell you to hire us to find it. I still lay it all out there. And there's that myth that constantly gets repeated by uh, usually people older than me. Oh, if you tell them how to do it, they won't hire you, which actually isn't true. Uh, There is someone out there who's determined to figure something out, who is never going to hire me, that will keep watching tutorials and reading tutorials until they figure it out. They were never going to be my customer. So that person's ruled out. But by putting it out there. Um, there's those who do. They look at it and go, "Wow, that looks complex." And it's the same thing with myself. I watch YouTube videos on how to how to build something at my house. Sometimes I look at it and go, "That seems like a task I could accomplish." Sometimes I look at it, going, "That is." wow, that was way harder than I expected. I would love to hire that person to do that. So by Definitely. putting it all out there with the offer to hire us, um, a lot of, especially businesses and commercial companies, um, reach out to us uh, for consulting on these things. And it becomes a good relationship because we work with mostly, because the people who consume my content are internal IT people or people. Yeah. Who, they're, they're either a solo administrator. or We have a couple large companies where we're dealing with the entire team internally internally. Um, coordinating with them on a project because if you're an internal it team you don't always do the heavy lift of swapping servers you only do that every time there's a server refresh you just do maintenance from time to time so because a lot of us are my videos are discussing how to set up a server you get this uh customer going i watched how to do it i'm not ready to make all those changes i'll just hire a company to come in and do it and hand the keys over to them so it's kind of um the business plan if you will for how we get business on there and it's a it's a solid system it generates a lot of leads for us and it's uh it has me expanding the company and we do the consulting all over the place so it's not limited even just to the united states we do it pretty much globally um anywhere the only thing we can't really do when it comes to global is we do travel to places but we have that restricted to the u.s so on occasion there's need for us to physically help with things and we'll we'll send a team out there, uh, but it has to be within reason. It has to be, um, you know, generally speaking, we haven't really decided if we want to leave, uh, leave the United States. Cause I think it just can, create too many logistical. It's hard enough sorting out cancelled flights and yeah. things like that here in the U.S. But once you start leaving the U.S., I think it's only going to get more complicated. So we because always have to the, the complication. U.S.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Remotely, we can work anywhere yeah. though. Um, we have a few clients we do some design consulting for, specifically Australia. I mentioned uh, there's a few there seems to be a pretty growing movie business there. And uh, movies are big. So that means they buy a lot of storage servers. So we uh, have done a lot of consulting around that topic.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, once you start going international outside your your home country things like payments and different things gets quite complicated so yeah it's probably a sensible decision
1: (laughs) yeah it's just it just sticking with it now as far as like um because the way we do the uh we're using different tools like stripe and things like that really simple common tools um, they take care of all the payment stuff for us for for that it's always presented in whatever their currency is so i don't always know what the conversions are i know it; it is for us and it's a static amount you know this is what we want to buy block hours and things like that and i let I, you know the the, it, the internet has really become so easy to use and all these different tools that i don't even have to think about that like this was stuff uh years and years ago um, over 20 years ago when i worked or my earlier tech career i remember we did a lot of international shipping it was always like this calculation we had to do i remember actually having a uh, well, not me, but people there calling the bank to figure out <laughs> conversion rates to send money. And this was like in the <laughs> 90s. I'm like, that just sounds hard. You actually have to call the bank, find the current yeah. rates so you could set the prices so you could do this. It was it was like a process that I wasn't deeply involved in, but like I'd look it over and go, that seems hard. I want to go back definitely. to playing with networks.
0: <laughs> I, never knew that. I never knew that was a thing, so yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, like, you, crazy. You, it's just accepted. It's on the internet now. I, you don't have to think about it. But yeah. uh, when you're doing you know bank clearings uh and wiring money internationally you had to know the rates or whatever to it was it was details that like it's so far in the past, it's it's mm. funny how the world has changed. I was laughing when yeah. someone pointed out that how we used to print maps to go places. I'm like, yes, we did. I remember before we could even print maps. So you just bought lots of maps and you had to make notes on how to do things. When MapQuest came out, that was huge. Like you could actually print the map because there's no, you know, in 1999, there was no mobile data uh, platform where I could have my car navigate me very easily. So when I traveled to different places, you just had maps and written directions. <laughs>
0: It's crazy. I don't think I could get around without some sort of phone to tell me where to go. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. My
1: my kids were impressed that uh my well, they weren't impressed at first when I was talking about my one of my first jobs was pizza delivery and that would have been in nineteen ninety four. I used to deliver pizzas and I but I then I said, But think about it, there was no maps, there was no things. You had to memorize all the streets, all the addresses and how to get there. And uh, they had a big giant map on the wall, so you stared at it and Um, it was kind of like, I don't know, the grid to this day of all the places I delivered pizzas, uh, in the, in the early nineties or mid nineties is still in my head. I still know every address to those cities and if you give me any address, (laughs) I'll tell you the cross streets that it's at. I don't, I committed to memory and it, for some reason that has not fallen out of my memory. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's, uh not something i i uh, have experienced but yeah <laughs> yeah it's um, it,
1: it is such a different world uh it, i know it's fun
0: <laughs> yeah so we've we mentioned um you back to at the start um, yeah. but there's also the um it's also something you're doing more recently pf sense and other bits and pieces from other companies that do routing um yeah pf sense is not something i've i've used before so could you sort of give an overview of um, roughly
1: what what that what that is and so where it's come from pf sense yeah quick history is it started well, there was the monowall project and then monowall when they kind of i think it was in uh, 2006 or 7 monowall uh, was forked into pf sense it was all bsd based firewalls one of the reasons uh, these were based on bsd and it's a joke i've repeated is basically bsd always did it first linux always does it better so firewalls in bsd were the scalable um replacement for some of the early days of data centers that they all ran. This is if you go into the ISP world and some of the big uh, hosting companies in the early days, pretty much all ran BSD. Uh, They had just really solid and Linux can do this now, but the way the PF filter worked allowed you to really manage firewall as well. But the Monowall project was really popular. So when the maintainer gave it up, PF sense, took it over. And then from there and I, in the early days, I was a Linux admin and managed uh, a lot of servers. So, Firewalls that were built on open source are just in general more flexible than the firewalls you use that were at the time, you know, Cisco's and things like that. So I was an early adopter of all this. And back then, that was like blasphemy. Always everyone just <laughs> bought Cisco and used the same things, or, you know, even Sonic Walls and some of the other early firewalls, which many mm-hmm. of them are still around today. But you, the software defined firewall world was getting going and was so niche at the time, but because I was an early adopter of it, that made me extremely familiar with it. Come back all the way till present day when software defined firewalls are pretty much how all of them are. They all run on either a Linux or BSD distribution, even Juniper's are BSD based, uh, most of the other ones are going to be Linux based. A lot of popular brands. So yeah, the history of PF Sense is interesting, and because I was there using a lot of these different tools for so many years, this is where I've done a lot of talking and expertise uh, long before my YouTube channel. So it was kind of a natural fit, and that's why I mentioned the first some of the first videos I did were a lot of PF Sense videos are my earliest videos.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I think I think I'm right in saying the guy is it Chris B. I can't pronounce his last name. But I think somebody from that company came from came from there and and is now in the the team doing the usg i think
1: yeah Uh, yeah that was interesting when um that person came over but everyone's like oh no because there's always this thing with a lot of the open source stuff um where when a team is working together and someone leaves that team or there was a lot of assumptions i should say made that Mm. this would be the end of pf sense and the reality is pf sense has gone uh right on and the skills that person may have brought to the firewalls with the ubiquity, uh, the firewalls ubiquity, as we all know, are been painful to use because they're just missing so many normal expected features. And even though ubiquity throws the word enterprise um, on them, the fact that you can't do VPN policy routing easily and things like that is. It's just got gaps that they uh, don't have. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I, I did the video that I think Ubiquity was less than pleased with, but uh, it was called the the weird way v, uh, VPNs are implemented inside of Ubiquity because they just. They don't follow what any other firewall does, but they're not doing it better. They're doing it weird mm. and difficult for users. Uh, I know there's a new version coming out as of uh, we're recording this right now in what it's uh, September of 2022. Yeah. Uh, I know there's a new version coming out that's supposed to remedy some of the ways they implemented WireGuard, and hopefully they do. I mean, I'm not here just to slam on Ubiquity and tell you that pfSense is better. Um, I deal with real world business use cases, and if the business can't get the functionality out of device without some random github project uh, where you cobble together some scripts to make it do the thing you want um that's not that's hard to support and ultimately uh when i do a lot of these i always think about because we most of what i'm doing is business consulting so i always think about what's what's not just for the home lab people but what's the you know supportable uh supported way of doing these type of setups
0: yeah because generally if something something doesn't work quite well and someone's not The
1: customer's not as technical.
0: It looks like it's your fault, basically. Sometimes,
1: yeah, it's it comes down to. I mean, just because I can set up a GitHub script to make WireGuard work on my Unified Dream Machine Pro, what does that look like from a business use case? If I got to replace it, to or have people to muddle through it, Mm -hmm. or if an update breaks my extra add-on that's unofficially supported, Um, you know, I don't knock people who want to tinker. Matter of fact, I love when people want to tinker. I think it's a lot of fun. It's how we learn. but there's learning and then there's hey i got to deploy these at the almost 100 businesses that we have a contract to manage and they expect everything just to work and not an updates to update without breaking things so yeah <laughs> no one wants things down
0: <laughs> the um there was an update for the UXG pro was it last week i think it was last week yeah i think i did like um i did quite a quite a ni- quite a nice amount of stuff i added Stuff from the UDM SE, I think, to the UxD Pro. I think you got Open VPN client support as well, and also some—I can't remember what there was. So Open Client VPN, some other teleport stuff as well. So it seems like that project—that project was weird, to be honest. The, it was sat in beta for so long.
1: Yeah, like, like over a year. Sort of, I think it was in beta. It was two years. That was two years. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, could, that sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very long yeah. time.
0: <laughs> it got it got announced in like 2020, and then just randomly got released it was just out of stock for ages and then yeah but it looks like it's sort of it looks like it's getting there i think it's it's an interesting product but
1: yeah it's a challenge and everyone and this is where ubiquity makes it hard on themselves uh that hey and i've mentioned this in the videos too if only there was a roadmap for your product you know I, i i can't buy products based on what they might do but the reality is Ubiquity barely even tells us outside of looking ahead at the beta, which isn't very far ahead at all, um, what is going to be the product's future. Something being in beta for two years, then being released, and then you know, we're only maybe a month out from a beta that tells us that it looks like we're gonna get some open VPN support. Well, that's hardly um, enough planning for you to actually plan and implement things. I mean, we have clients right now where we're doing a, um, a business that has locations all over the U S and we're building out all new firewalls for them. And they started with wanting to go ubiquity and we did tell them it's neat. But, you know, the auto route building and everything is okay until it doesn't. The lack of policy routing was one of the killers because they have not just everything can go across all the VPN. And this is where you got to have like a plan. So they all went with PFSense because it's just easier to implement. It has a more predictable path for how we'll get there uh for setting things up. So that's... um yeah. But then again, this is what creates more content. Uh, people, you know, there's a video that can be done now on the new USG yeah, exactly. and its releases and all the new features that are surprising. Where we've received in there because it's not like we have said, of course they're going to get these features uh, because yeah. they don't really tell us that. Not not that far ahead, yeah. at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, just um, with the so if you've got a load of companies, I've got pfSense routers in their um, businesses and that sort of thing. Is it what sort of thing do you use to manage them? So with, obviously with Unify, you've got the cloud. You've either got to uh, Hostify, you've either got um, cloud right. controllers sort of thing. Is there you think like that
1: for PF Sense or There's not. And I've told people it's people make a bigger deal about it, I think, than they do than um, than it is. There's tools out there, if you need something that has a management dashboard to manage everything, then don't go with PF Sense. That's uh that's yeah. actually a video I've had. I, I have a like a video ideal list and one of the videos is called PFSense for MSPs, and I'm just going to cover the basics. It's going to be a shorter video, but I'm going to tell people, well, the first thing I say, is, there is no central management. The fact that there's mm-hmm. not central management is sometimes the deal stopper for people. And that's fine um, if that's your use case. PFSense releases only happen a couple times a year. So a couple times a year, you have to log into all of your clients' firewalls and do the update there's not updates to really do in between unless there's an application that you're using on the client need update. And then you can log in and do those. As far as monitoring goes, you can monitor them with SNMP with whatever other tooling you want. And and that's usually done internally. We have uh, an RMM tool that we use to manage all of our clients, windows computers. So we can just throw SNMP and monitor them that way. Uh, And that's been the way we've been moving towards an alternative method is using Zabbix on there, but then you got to maintain all the Zabbix connections and Zabbix updates. And if you already have a tool, I'm not big on adding more things to manage. It's it's home lab people will brag about the 50 different services they set up. As a business owner and a bunch of employees, they do not want to check 50 dashboards for things. So you try to do consolidation so you can manage things uh, at a more predictable rate. Uh, So there are ways you can manage and monitor the systems. But as far as the, you know... Uh, mass updating of them. Oh, it's just a project we do. We have all the clients with them. We start logging in and we start updating them. It's really as simple as that to us. Uh, hit Go in each one, hit update, hit yes, make sure it worked, move on to the next one. It becomes a pro- project and a punch list just to run down and uh, do all those. So, I mean, I like to click one button and update them all, but... I don't know that that always is a little scary because you almost want to monitor them and have a plan in place yeah. before you update them because uh, this goes for, you know, whether you believe it or not, you get into the Meraki world or some of those other, you know, well managed fully dashboard systems. Sometimes they don't come back up either. Um and you just don't hear about it as much because it's not as much public facing. But there was a couple updates that came out for different brands that, well, they didn't go well. You had to roll back, so you still have, yep. to have that same plan in place. It's not as automated and orchestrated as we'd like it to be.
0: I remember when so when I used to work at a Wisp, um, we had probably four or five thousand Ubiquiti devices on the network, and you we'd very rarely use the mass update tool. So we'd 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 very be very careful about dating stuff. Even some of the the extremely important backhaul links, we'd we'd literally log in the middle of the night and then sit with it like a baby yeah. and make sure it all goes fine. So I can see where you're coming
1: from with that. Yeah, and that's that's the reality of it. There's this concept that people who are thinking about how things scale and there's the reality of someone who's worked at somewhere with a few thousand devices and you're like, oh no, we don't just press update to a few thousand devices because nobody's got time for that many tickets that could potentially open because if the first few updates don't go well, The next few thousand may not go well, and you don't want to have to go out and go on site to several thousand locations to push a new firmware and load it. You slowly, iteratively test. Um, you, You figure out like, all right, here's all the people with this particular model, let's start there and you go through it. Great. Cause sometimes you'll find a quirk with a specific model or device. Like, all right, we already know before we do this one, these are the conditions that might be met um, to make sure that the update goes well. So there's always that little quirkiness that you have to be on the lookout for. So that's, that's my other argument for people. Well, how do you manage it? I'm like, how do you, how do you uh, manage it when it's connected all to a device? you really just push update to a few thousand devices. You're braver than me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, can be a can be a bit, bit risky. I remember there's some updates for some bizarre brand of like licensed back already we used to use that there was one update which completely Completely broke it, and you had to go on site and actually take it apart and do things. That that can't happen very often, so
1: right, uh, right,
0: it's, it's scary sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's why you can be so careful on all these testing on there. Yeah. So yeah, we just mainly like we we literally just have them all in a spreadsheet. Um, we'll have the version on there, and the version's always the latest. As in, eventually it's not because a new version comes out, and you just run down the list. Yeah. It's it's in a task assigned to a staff member to organize and coordinate when we can do them. We have notes on any customers. Some customers. Anytime after the business closes at five or six is fine. Some customers are 24-7. You have to schedule those for the weekends uh, when you can find a uh, window. So you figure out when their windows are and you start punching through them. Yeah. Makes sense. It's, it's Sometimes how the tech is, uh, it, it's just a brute force. You're just going to run through
0: it. You need update a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing I had on my list was the, um, I know you guys, I don't think you've mentioned it in more recent videos, but the Unify Protect stuff. Yeah. So, are you still doing that for customers? As a a challenge, has
1: become really. Can you even get it? And that's where there's a hang-up. It's out of stock a lot. The cameras are out of stock. Do I think it's a good mm-hmm. product? Yeah, I still use it. We actually have a, a system set up at our shop we use. Um, and we have a handful of clients that still are using it that really like it. They like the ease of use. I like the features that has been added to it. I thought about doing a more updated video on there. The downside mm-hmm. is it's inflexibility. You either like the features it has or you don't, and you can't expand mm-hmm. or add more. Now, when you get into larger businesses that have uh, compliance, they have to keep let's say 90 days or longer, um, archiving and things like that. This is where Ubiquity really falls short because you can only use the drives in it officially. Yes, someone's going to point out, but Tom, you can SSH in and create backup copies of things and stuff like that. But it's not great. Uh, If you look at the other solutions, one of the popular ones we talk about a lot on our channel is going to be Synology. They have lots of really solid features i don't think they're quite as easy to use as ubiquity ubiquity has done such a wonderful job that's you know i like Mm -hmm. handing a non-technical user a ubiquity camera system is actually pretty easy because they're they're gonna go oh i get this i can scroll through this and figure it out yeah definitely a little bit of training they may need on there but we've even found uh most of the time when there's an incident they just call us anyways we just had someone that had an incident in one of their buildings um even though it's ubiquity they said i ain't got time for this just I'll pay you guys whatever it takes, pull the video. Here's the timestamp for when I need video. And so that's more the reality. Okay. The same thing with the yeah. um, Synology camera systems. A lot of times, even I, I think they're relatively easy to use, but we frequently, because we just aren't really familiar with them. People are like, all right, this is one that we think the event happened. Please pull this footage mm-hmm. for us. Um, but the Synologies are really nice. You get the more flexibility in terms of the wide variety of cameras. I can use I think they brag about having like 2,000 or 3,000 different camera models they support. Basically, they support all the open standards, so as long as the camera supports open standard. But this also gives you the option of uh, when you come into a bit of business, you have existing cameras. Rip and replace is awesome until someone gets the bill for it. They go, no, I'm not ready to replace these 100 cameras in my building. I just need a new recorder system and 10 new cameras. Well, all right, cool. We can do an integration with their old cameras. This is something Ubiquiti does not and will not ever support. People always ask about it and, like, they like Ubiquiti doesn't have license fees. I'm like, well, technically, they rolled it all into the cost of the device. So, because their cameras are higher cost than other brand cameras because there's a license fee buried in there somewhere. There's a development fee to yeah. maintain the project like- uh, buried into the cost of the camera. So, I, I still think it's a great. Uh, product. I really like some of the new cameras they came out with, I think are really cool. Mm. Um, but man, getting a hold of them, like, that's just just a challenge in general, getting, uh, buying those, especially the, what was that small Wi-Fi one they had? I loved it, but... The G3 Instant was like 30, 30 quid, $30, yeah. Yeah, great yeah. price. I, I it, You just can't, you gotta, you know, keep a watch out for them. you can't If I want to buy 10 of them right now, I can't. um or Unless I want no, to pay eBay scalper prices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of new stuff that
0: they've done in the last... I want to say the last 12 months, I think. Got the stacking, the NVR Pro stacking feature. You've got the AI 360 camera. Um, yep. There's AI Bullet as well. There's quite a lot of stuff that's just sort of ever so slowly expanding. and
1: Yeah, it, but it comes down nice. to... I, and I don't. I didn't look today, but I know not that long ago, um, the UNVR Pros were just not in stock. So, cool, you have stacking. I can't buy two of them to stack um, because they're yeah. just the lack of availability of the product. And, I mean, there's availability problems with everything because of supply chain issues, but more readily available are the different synologies. Now, there'll be like a certain model synology I can't get in, and we'll just substitute for... Something close enough. Maybe we have to. We had a couple times. People, I, I told them it's six six to nine months. It says before this one's in stock, or in three weeks I can have you this model that's only like two hundred dollars more. So sometimes we, it's people think we're always trying to upsell. I'm like, no, I, I just if you can find it, we'll we'll let you buy it and we'll just configure it for yeah. you. I tell people because <laughs> uh, supply chain issues are always a pain.
0: <laughs> can you use the Ubiquiti you cameras with with the Synology or not?
1: You can set it up for RTSP, um, so it'll work. But it's not great. I wouldn't recommend it. So if if okay. you were in a desperate situation, yes, would I recommend it? Not at all. There's they don't work as well.
0: No, there's what's that? There's a standard, isn't there? There's like um. I think
1: is how it's said. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. There's
0: that. The one that the somebody uses. Is it?
1: Yeah. Yep, they're using standards. They're not the only one that uses it, and that's what's nice about a standard is you can uh, come in and swap out cameras and things like that. And Synology, since they went to version 9, has gotten really cool on all that stuff. Uh, They've got better bulk importing, which is awesome. So you can bulk uh, manage and bulk import cameras because we have a lot of large camera jobs we've done with them. And they've had stacking yeah. forever, which is one of those things. Like Ubiquity, why didn't you bake this into the product at the beginning? Because stacking and tying a bunch of NBRs together, this has been this is common with the, a lot of the other commercial NBRs out there.
0: I know that was one of the that was one of the original concerns that people had with the Protect system was the when it first launched. The only thing you could run it on was that um, Gen T Plus cloud key, and people yeah. were saying uh, I, they were like panicking, saying, "I can't, I can't run." all these hundreds of cameras on it. I could do that with Unify Video and that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, you're right. They should have done it. They should have done that from the start really, but.
1: Um... Yeah, they were really slow because this when they dropped the uh, original camera product, which by the way, I know people are still using it and they really need to make sure that's not publicly exposed because they killed the cloud mm-hmm. server. So you can't relay through it anymore. You don't want to publicly expose it because it's unpatched for log4j. For it's, it's using that in the background and uh, it is, Arbitrary. There's there's some proof of concept code out there that will pull exploits on it, and yeah, those systems. We mm-hmm. don't have any clients on them. We had uh, unfortunately we sold a lot of clients those, so we ended up uh, to support our clients better. We offered them steep steep discounts uh, where we had them almost like just buying some of the hardware so we could swap out some of those NBRs. But it took a long time because we some clients. There's nothing we could do until the UNVR Pro came out because they just had too many cameras like you said the first one was the cloud key before the UMVR, and then the VR pro uh when we have people with 20 cameras you're not doing it on a cloud key and i'm not in, i'm not putting half a dozen cloud keys in either because that's not manageable either
0: <laughs> no no the stacking thing um from the release notes it says it will come to the four bay one
1: yeah that's point. what i'm waiting but... for it to come to that yeah um because we have a four bay one and we have a pro um, in our lab, and I wanted to get those stacked together, and I'm gonna hopefully see mm. if they'll support that. If they'll support mixed matching, that would be kind of cool. They haven't mentioned that. that I know that's the, nice. Yeah, uh, it's literally the only way we're gonna find out is if we try, <laughs> because you're right, yeah. it's not mentioned <laughs> unless they implicitly say you can't do that. Um, so will cross our fingers control. and hopefully, yeah. hopefully they have an ability to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are some weird things I've read, like um, certain. So if one camera gets adopted to the secondary NVR, for example, you can't move it, and then the viewport doesn't work properly with either It's something we're going on. So it's, it's released but not quite properly done, I don't think. so.
1: And if an enterprising security individual wants to poke at it, um, if you looked at the way they're doing Bluetooth auto-adoption of APs, that's interesting, and I feel mm-hmm. like there's a static key somewhere that might be able to be exploited. I haven't had time to really poke at it, but if you look, it does, um, and this does it because the Unify sensor works on Bluetooth, yeah. and it relays through but auto-adopts any of them in there. So when we we're setting things up in our lab and moving them around for customers, we realized that any of the Unify 6 that have the Bluetooth, I think it's the BLE uh, modes on them, stayed adopted to our device, and we didn't tell them to adopt. It auto-adopted them. Oh. So There's a way to turn it off, but the fact yeah. that it can auto-adopt tells me there's probably a static key somewhere. And yeah, I'm wondering, I have a security researcher. I want to reach out to it, and I'll even send them the device. I'm like, can you poke at this? Because I'm not sure exactly how key exchange works on Bluetooth. I've never really dove deep into it. But I bet there's a flaw in there somewhere where it's got to be a static key because it auto joins. And once it joins, it locks. So it may be a static key mm-hmm. that gets swapped. But how many times are you going to be able to get on a network? And what if you could exploit this? I don't know. I, I kind of going off on a tangent with it, but I think it's kind of a novel yeah. thing to poke at. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm not really that good at security stuff, but it sounds sounds interesting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that you can do it just by being on the same network, like the devices are on the same network, and it just says, "I'll adopt you," and it does. So that's strange.
0: <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> cool. Um, I think we'll wrap it up. I think. Um, so yeah, it's coming up to about forty minutes. So... Yeah. Cool. Thank Was you for joining me. For yeah, it's been been really good to talk to you, Tom. Um, yeah, this is the third episode of of Create a Spotlight. Um so where can if people want to find
1: out more about Lawrence Systems where can they go to Easiest place to find me. Everything starts at my website, lawrencesystems.com. Of course, you can always cool. look up Lawrence Systems on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Lawrence Tech. Those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me and my forums. Uh, if you have questions and things like that, I try to consolidate because people ask the same questions all the time. So I always try to consolidate yeah. those to the forums so they're very well indexed. Matter of fact, I, my staff laughs when um, people when they're searching for how to set something up and there's a forum post that I did a whole write up and tutorial because <laughs> a lot of times I'll, I'll have an accompanying forum post with the video where I may have all the commands I use um, and things like sense. that. So, you know, it comes back to someone we started with here when you want to create things, you want to show people how to do them and teach them. Uh, I can show you in a video, but I think it's better when you can copy and paste the commands as well. So
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Cool. I'll put the links to your website and all the social stuff in the YouTube description, so that's fine. Awesome. Thank you. Great cool. chatting. All
1: right. Cool.
0: Thank you so much. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>